Hi, this is Dr. Kimberly Leonard. You're listening to Incredible Life Creator Podcast. My guest today is Eldana Lewis Fernandez. Um, as the CEO of Dynamic Vision International, Eldana Lewis Fernandez provides negotiation, leadership, and communication training to corporate clients and small, small business owners internationally. Her business is built on a 23-year career as a contract specialist in the Air Force, where she negotiated hundreds of millions of dollars worth of domestic and international contracts, everything from pens and paper to office machines, automotive parts, and aircraft maintenance. Eldana is the founder of Baskets and Beads Kenya and Dynamic Vision Foundation, which helps women in a slum in Kenya eradicate poverty through entrepreneurism. Baskets and Beads provides a hand up, not a handout, by marketing their handcrafted baskets, beads, and other products. Through the sale of their handcrafted items in the U.S., many of the women have been able to leave prostitution and provide for their families. Eldana works to find a market for their handcrafted items through wholesaling to stores or selling her book when she speaks. Book and a Bead is changing the lives of the women and their children. Welcome to the podcast, Eldana. Thanks so much for having me. Great to be here. Yes, yeah, so you have quite a journey from Air Force negotiation to Kenya, really mission. So um, why don't you tell us your story, how you started out, how you got into the Air Force and how you got to be doing what you're doing now? Well, I, I started with, uh, I had pretty rough childhood. Both my parents were alcoholics. My mother died of alcoholism when I was 12. I dropped out of high school. I was kind of heading down the wrong road. Came home when I was 18, empty house, note of, note of eviction. My father had moved from Texas to Florida and I was on my own. And I, I knew I wanted to do something different with my life. I knew I needed to make a change. So I guess the first pivot, like they say, was when I saw a commercial about the Air Force, it said Air Force, a great way of life. So I joined the Air Force, took the oath of enlistment and intended to stay four years, get my college degree and get out. Well, 23 years later, I retired as a master sergeant out of the contracting career field, which is where I learned all my contracts and negotiation training, went to work for some defense contractors, got involved with Toastmasters and started speaking, entering speech contests, published my first book. I was published in a book, Heart of a Woman in Business, co-authored a book called Heart of a Military Woman wrote a book called Think Like a Negotiator and another book called Go Pink Rules of Engagement. I was doing speaking and training, leadership training, negotiation, teaching people how to think like a negotiator. Mm -hmm. And I, I actually have done some consulting and helped people get a lot of money back and such. And I, I was doing, I left the corporate world, was doing the speaking full time. And then right before COVID happened, things started to slow down with the speaking. And I had gone on a mission trip in 2018 to Kenya and met these ladies in a place called the Kipsongo Slum, Katali, Kenya, about eight hours from Nairobi, and found that they made these beautiful handcrafted baskets, beads, and bags and changed again and started really focusing on that. But then the speaking business started to taper off. So I ended up taking a job to during COVID to support the business expenses because obviously sales were tapering off, started a nonprofit, was ra been raising money throughout, uh, raised money throughout COVID to make sure that they had food. I didn't want them to go back to prostitution and make sure that they could still feed their kids. 
and continuing to work towards getting that to be sustainable. We started with five women. We're up to over 30 now. And that's really my passion where my heart is. I do love negotiating and teaching people about negotiation, but my, my heart is with the ladies in Kenya. Mm-hmm. So tell me some more about them. Um, you said you went on a mission trip. How did you actually meet them, interact with them? How did this all come about? Well, I, the person who was taking people to Kenya had been taking people for over 20 years. And I met him at an event. I actually was speaking at the event about negotiation. I had a booth next to his and we sat and talked for a while. And he told me about Kenya and then I saw him again. And it just really felt on my heart that I needed to go to Kenya for some reason. And I raised the money to go. And that's a whole nother story that I talk about in negotiation about asking for exactly what you want. I got in my fear about that and wasn't asking. But then once I started asking, I raised more than enough money to go and went on the trip. And we were there for 10 days and we were serving going, taking supplies and being of service to kids on the street. We went to prisons. We went to special needs schools. We went to other schools. We went to visit clinics and all types. We went to churches and all types of different places. And one of the last places we went was the Kipsongo slum. And they'd been going there for years, taking supplies, like the basics, like a big sack of beans and and corn and blankets and some flour and other things, just the the basics. They live in little mud huts, tin roof, no running water, kitchens or bathrooms. It's a, so it's pretty rough. So just giving them the basics. And one of the ladies, her name was Patricia. She gifted me with one of these. This is what I'm wearing is a necklace made out of magazines, rolled magazines. Mm -hmm. And she gifted me with one and wanted sponsorship for her son to go to school went to sleep that night when I found out some somebody, there were some ladies that had some things spread out and they were selling them. We didn't have any money with us, but found out that another person on a previous trip had given them some funding for like a micro loan to get the supplies to make the beads and sell them in town. Woke up in the middle of the night with this God inspired idea to buy some beads and sell them with my book when I speak, book and a bead. Mm-hmm. And I brought back half a suitcase and sold out, doubled the order, sold out, tripled that order, sold out. And then multiple suitcases. I went back on another trip. I've been to Kenya five times since then. Mm-hmm. And now we're, we're shipping things back. And I'm in one store. I was over, I was in one store and I sell online. And then also when I speak. Oh, that is wonderful. And so some of these women were just, they were just really living on the street or trying to just do whatever they could to, to take care of their children. Well, a lot of them, some, well, not a lot of them, some of them were prostituting themselves. Some were selling illegal alcohol and they were picking food scraps out of the dumpster to feed their kids. Because unlike in the U.S., there are no food pantries there's no food stamps there's no government help at all if you don't if you don't have you don't get there's no place to get food and the people in the slum like like i said a little mud hut about the size of a storage shed that's mm-hmm. what they live in with their kids and they're it's not like i can get up and go to my shower or go to the kitchen and open the fridge they don't have that so they cook on little either like a a fire or they have a little pot a little thing with charcoal and cook in a little pot. And it's very, very rough going. And 
they have this talent, but a lot of them, if they don't have a government ID, they can't get a job. It's a challenge for them to get a job and work. And many of them are born in the slum. There's no birth certificates. They don't, a lot of them don't even know what day they were born on. So it's, it's a lot different than kind of what we're used to here, but just giving them the opportunity to come out of that life. And actually I have a video on my website where one of the ladies is talking about, I can now walk through town and hold my head up high because I'm not prostituting myself anymore. That is beautiful. Yeah. And then you said one lady wanted to get um, schooling for her son. So is it really uncommon for the children to be able to go to school? Well, they, they have to, I forget what age it is. So when they're younger, they go to school and come home, but when they're older, they have to board, but they, their school fees, school isn't free over there. They have to buy uniforms and all the supplies I actually work with another. So I have a director in Kenya and then I have another lady that I work with that she helps a lot of street kids and I have a sponsor who sponsored two of those kids. So we're providing the, the uniforms. And then I actually raised some money through the Rotary Club in, in the San Pedro area. No, Temecula, sorry, Temecula Rotary Club. They made a donation that enabled me to buy about a dozen kids school uniforms. So uh, there's some kids that get to, you, if you don't have a uniform and the supplies, you can't go to school. If they don't earn income, they can't send their kids to school. It's a very difficult situation. Got it. So in this heart mission that you have, how have you used your negotiation skills to make things happen? Well, one thing about negotiation that most people don't realize, you negotiate every single day of your life, whether it's, I always say, whether it's a multi-million dollar deal, how to get your kids to do their homework or where to meet for dinner, you're always negotiating. And part of negotiation is asking for what you want, putting your requests out there. Mm -hmm. And it was simply asking for what I wanted. And I, we negotiate on pricing and being part of being fair trade. And I'm a verified member of the fair trade federation, which means my practices have been uh, reviewed to be within the, the nine principles of the fair trade federation. They get paid fairly and they get paid on time and there there's no child labor. There's no forced labor, slave labor. There's a, a lot of principles that they look at for that but we still negotiate prices to make sure that they're fair and reasonable, that they're not overcharging or whatever. And then for me, so going into Kenya, a, a white person is known as Mzungu. So when Mzungu shows, people in Kenya are known as Mzungu. So when I go to Kenya, when I negotiate, I don't negotiate because if they see me, they think that we have money trees and I live in California, believe me, no money tree here. <laughs> the money goes out, out the door. It doesn't even, I don't even anyway, see it. But so what I do is I have my director in Kenya say, we're going, I want something. I'm like, oh, go get me this. Or if we're somewhere and I see something I like, I'm like, okay, I want that. And she'll either go back the next day or I'll walk away and she'll go and, and get it and she'll get a better price. So that's the way you have to do things. You have to do that in, in a lot of other countries. That's mm -hmm. just something I've learned, not only going to Kenya, but I've been traveling kind of around the world in the military as well. So I've been to a lot of different countries and made a lot of different deals in different places. And that's kind of the way you do it in some places. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. And when you're negotiating, just in general, when you're negotiating, um, is there a difference between the way a man negotiates and a woman negotiates? That depends on the woman, I guess. So typically most men are direct communicators and they negotiate kind of A to B. Most women are not, and this is a generalization. It's not saying, oh, they're all like this or they're all like that or whatever, but it's a generalization that I found in my experience. I'm a very direct communicator because of my time in the military. I grew up with my father from the 12 years old on. Military is a male dominated organization. So I learned how to be very direct. And you have to read the person that you're negotiating with. A lot of women fear negotiation because they don't like to step up and ask and be direct. And one, you have to work to get past that in order to be a good negotiator, whether it's with men or women, because negotiation, when you're in the business world, this is about doing business and we're just doing business. And you have to be, I always talk about being prepared in advance so you know what you're going to be asking for in my, so I work as a, man, a supply chain manager for a defense contractor. And we had a negotiation today and we had a strategy session beforehand and discussed how we were going to approach it. And we approached it that exact way. And they came back and said, oh, okay, well, we'll go back and redo our proposal, which is exactly what we intended to do. But most women fear negotiation because it's that I have to push sometimes. And generally women don't like to push. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. And you know, when I feel like I'm being pushed, especially by another woman, I don't like it either. <laughs> so and, yeah, you know, I'll, I'll tell somebody like when I'm having a negotiation with a woman mm -hmm. and you, I can sense that discomfort, I say, okay, I want you to know this is business. What we're talking now, this is just business. And once we're past this, the business is over. And then the relationship picks up over here. You understand that, right? Yes. Yes. Okay. Now let's talk. So I, I come forward with that because I'll be, I have to kind of dial it back. Sometimes I have to make sure I'm not in somebody's face. Sometimes I can make people very uncomfortable and that's good in some situations and bad in others. So I have to, I caveat with that. Okay. This is business. We're talking now. Cause you can, I can hear sometimes the person on the other side getting, Oh, okay. I'm getting a little flustered or feeling a little offended. No, this is an offense. We're talking business. Mm -hmm. And when you're planning a strategy, do you plan that strategy based on who you're going to negotiate with or based on um, what you're negotiating for? Yes to both. Well, the, during the preparation phase. So let's just take a proposal anything's a proposal. Everything's about offer, acceptance, counteroffer, and rejection of offer. Simply, somebody offering you something is simply an offer, whether it's, would you like to meet at this time? Would you like to have dinner here? Would you like to do this deal? Here's the price. Would you like to do an order for this? Would you like to sign up for this program? Would you like to buy this item? It's all an offer as the and you're the offeree, the offer or is somebody placing the offer. And as the offeree receiving the offer, you can either accept it, reject it, or make a counter offer. Accept it is, oh, that's a great price. And, or so let's meet at seven o'clock. Okay, I'm, I'll meet at seven. Let's go meet over here. Okay, great. There you've had, you've made a deal. Well, somebody that's accepting the offer. Rejecting the offer is basically, no, sorry. I'm not interested in that. A counter offer would be, 
I'm interested, but not at that price or not at that time. I can't meet at seven. How about eight? Oh no. I, how about seven thirty? Okay. That's great. Oh, you're, that's a thousand dollars for that. No, that's a little too high. How about 500? Oh, okay. No, that's not good. And you go back and forth and you, you have the agreement. So it's, it's uh, offer acceptance, counteroffer and rejection of offer. That's kind of the way that goes. And once you receive the offer, you decide whether it is or is not fair and reasonable, which means a proper balance of conflicting interests and not extreme or excessive in the price or terms and conditions. Mm -hmm. And then you prepare for the negotiation. If you know the person you're negotiating with, that's why you read the person. There's negotiation archetypes. Are they a direct communicator? Are they a bully? Are they somebody who's a non-negotiator? You have to, if you can know that about the person beforehand, you can usually size them up pretty quick if you don't. Then you can prepare how you're going to approach it and the things you might ask and the things you might say. Would you be able to get everything down? Not necessarily, but having some preparation, at least you have a foundation to approach. Mm -hmm. And um so negotiation is used a lot in sales then because you're negotiating a price or whatever. So if someone is a salesperson and they're wanting to sell a product, what is the biggest reason why they don't sell that product or why they don't basically get what they want in a negotiation? Well, maybe one, they don't ask or they don't ask the right way. When you're selling a product or a service and you're, get, you're having a discussion with somebody and you can, you can tell them the price. And then a lot of people will keep on talking. You have to stop talking and let the other side have time to process. And then a great question to ask, is there any reason you can't purchase this today? Then you stop talking and get quiet and listen. Listen to the way that's worded. I didn't say, would you like to purchase this? No is a simple answer. A lot of people say no. Mm -hmm. We say no three times before we say yes. Is there any reason you can't purchase this today? No. Great. Okay. Let me write that up for you. I said, no. You said, no, there's not a reason you can't. What? <laughs> I'm confused. Yes. That's called a pattern interrupt. You want to interrupt somebody's pattern of no and get them to yes. A lot of times no means they need more information or they need more time, or it may simply be no, but you have to ask in a way that you can get to to a yes if somebody if you say would you like to buy this today and they say no okay i have nowhere to go but if they say no to is there any reason you can't they've simply said yes they don't realize it their brain is attempting to wrap around that that response and it can't so you have more of an opportunity to get to yes using a question like that mm -hmm. What if you find yourself in a situation where there's something that you really need from someone else for whatever reason, you know, you need supplies or what, whatever it is you need. Um, so, but you need it more than they need to sell it. In other words, if they don't sell to you today, it's no big deal. How do you get the upper hand in that where you actually can get what you need at the price you need, need it at? Well, first of all, you don't want to let on that that situation you want to be very cool calm and collective with it and you have to be willing to walk away if if you need something and it's five hundred dollars say and they're charging five thousand dollars and that's ridiculous that's price gouging for one that's not fair and reasonable so you can simply be okay 
that's not a fair and reasonable price. How'd you get to that price? What makes you think that's fair and reasonable? Oh, well, I know you need it and I'm the only one that has it. Oh, okay. That's price gouging. And that's a, that's not a legal strategy to do. And I'm not willing to pay that. Oh, okay. Whatever. See ya. You have to decide before you go in and have a discussion with that person, what's your walk away point is, even if you need it badly, are you willing to pay $5,000? You have to decide, okay, this is the amount I'm willing to pay for it. And if I don't pay this amount, I'm going to have to go and do something else. I'm not going to let myself be taken advantage of and gouged. You may get the opportunity if you say I'm done and walk away, you may get the opportunity to come back around and renegotiate, but you don't want to agree to something that's going to leave you in a bad way, either take your profit out or take you down to where you can't operate because you've spent all your money on this thing that you needed. There may be another way to do it or another option that you haven't explored. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And what about negotiating with the people that are closest to us, our family, our best friends? This is where, you know, we know if we push too much or if we pull too much, feelings get squashed and hurt. So how do you make the negotiation so that you can actually get what you want and, and actually, if you will, uh, bring people to your side, whether it be something as simple as I want to go to this movie, I want everybody to go to this movie or whatever it is. Well, relationships are the most spendable capital in the world, including our family. And usually the ones that we're closest to are the ones that we don't necessarily always treat well. We think, oh, well, they'll just do whatever. You have to have respect for them, just like you have respect for another negotiation in, in business or in, in your job. And you have to leave emotion out, especially in families. The biggest thing that will get you in, into a situation is not leaving emotion out. And the last strategy in my book says you can't negotiate with crazy. And <laughs> Crazy does not refer to somebody who's mentally incapacitated, by the way, contracts with somebody who's mentally incapacitated or drunk or under the influence of some kind are voidable. That's a little mm -hmm. contract law, contracts mm -hmm. 101. But you, you, the crazy could be some, you're in an argument, people are emotional and you're all charged up. You can't have a discussion with somebody like that. You have to take a break and go to your respective ends and come back and then talk without the emotion, mm -hmm. have just a normal conversation and express, okay, this is why I want to go to this movie today. I really want to see this. Is there, is there any reason you can't mm -hmm. go with me to this movie tonight? Use that question. It works in business and personal life. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. And um, just, a, I'm just bringing up situations for you just to see how you handle them. So let's say um, you're an entrepreneur and you want to raise capital and you also want to put together a team. So you want to get people, you know, kind of hooked on to your idea and kind of supporting what you're doing. How would you uh, approach that to actually, you, you're somewhat negotiating, but basically you're just trying to collect supporters or people to help you out or to believe in the same idea. Well, first of all, if you're, you're presenting the idea to them, you need to be clear, concise with what you're describing. 
for instance, if I was, I'm, I'm always raising funds to help my ladies and I have specific things like, okay, we're raising money to make sure that they have food. We're raising money for a building fund. We're raising money for school fees. Okay, if, if you're going to donate to the school fees, here's what's going to happen. You're going to be providing uniforms and books and food and things for their school, the fees for them to go to school. I'd explain the whole thing and make sure that the person that I'm speaking to understands what I'm saying. I have a clear presentation put together that I'm, I'm well-versed in what it is that I'm doing and they can receive and understand what I'm doing. I think that's the first thing. They have to be able to receive it and understand it. And in order to catch the vision, you have to get somebody on board with being excited about your vision and being excited about where you're going. So you have to make sure that you have it down and maybe you have descriptive literature, graphics, videos, PowerPoint, something, a, a, even a website for people to go to. You have to have all that kind of dialed in ahead of time. And obviously, if you're just having discussions about ideas, but if the idea is going to the fundraising stage, you need to have everything, everything there that somebody, you can show somebody that they can look at, that they can understand what the project is and get excited with you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I wanted to ask you now about those years that you were in the Air Force. So you, you saw the flyer, whatever it is, you joined up. Did it give you what you thought it was going to give you when you signed up? It became the family that I never had. Now, I did have some rough experiences when I was in the military as being a woman in the military, unfortunately, but that's about this much of 23 years. And so while I do speak about some of those things in certain circles, uh, being against women who are harassed and assaulted in the military, that's not something I focus on, but the military gave me a, a degree. I got actually two associates and a bachelor's degree. I got training in a great career field. I got the family I never had. I got the opportunity to travel around the world and see amazing places. I actually was stationed in the UK for four years and spent most of that time when I was traveling, seeing most of Europe from the sea to my Harley. So I was- Sounds great. Yeah, it was, it <laughs> Sounds was really great. <laughs> it, was, it was wonderful. It gave me more than, than I expected and gave me a place that where I felt, I felt that I, I belonged and I could like, like that's where I got, I was in, I was a contract specialist. That was my career field. And that's why I'm able to do contracts and negotiations so well today because of that foundation that I had in the military. Mm -hmm. Now, are, do you have a family now, like your own family? Did, did you get married? No, I, my, my kids are grown. Yeah, I have two adult kids. My son uh, recently moved back in for a few months, and but they, they live close to me. Both of them live in uh, Southern California, and then I have two cats. Mm -hmm. Nice. So when you were starting your family, was there any decisions or things you said to yourself that you said, okay, my family's going to be like this, and it's not going to be like that? Like certain things you said, oh, this is how I want my family to be. And how I want well, to grow up. I actually was like, well, my kids are not going to grow up like I did with alcohol around alcoholism. My mother drank every day of her life that I can remember. And she was crazy out of her mind from it. And my father drank too, not as heavy as my mother, but it, it was a chaotic place to grow up. And I didn't want my kids to grow up in that kind of environment. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. So is there special things that you did as a family or were you just really busy in the career? Well, we, we had a lot of different things that we did, obviously being in the military, we traveled around a lot. And I, one of the favorite times was when we were stationed in the UK and we went to tour a lot of castles and cathedrals and Mm -hmm. my kids climbed on more castles and ruins and stuff. We, gosh, I don't know. We were a member of English Heritage. So we went to, which was a organization where you could go visit all the the historic sites. And we went and toured a lot of beautiful cathedrals and then toured across Europe. And we camped a lot, being part of a Harley group over there was kind of interesting. It was a family event. So everybody go and camp out and they just had a lot of fun and got to experience a lot of things. My daughter was in Girl Scouts over there, brownies, brownies. She was a a daisy and a brownie. And we went to stay at uh, Pax Lodge, which is one of only, I think there's only six now. I think there was seven. I think there's only six Girl Scout Girl Guide World Centers. We stayed there twice and we took the the tube into London and we rode a double-decker bus and we, all those kind of things. And uh, so they got to experience interesting things that a lot of kids didn't get to Mm -hmm. from being in the military. And then when I retired and we moved to Southern California, we did a lot of different things, the beach and other different programs and things that we did and going to church and things like that. So my, my daughter danced, my son played sports. So they got the opportunity to, I always had a rule that you had to be in something. Mm-hmm. You were going, you get to choose it or I'm choosing it for you, but you have to be involved in some extracurricular activity. So my daughter chose dance. And actually one time my son did, my daughter had three dance classes. I took a tap class and my son took a break dancing class and we were all in the recital together. So <laughs> that'd be really fun. Yeah. <laughs> that'd be a lot of fun. So um, during your years in the Air Force, what are some of the lessons that you learned that just it made you decide on making certain decisions throughout your life based on what you learned? Well, there's something in the military called the after action review, which is you take it, you take anything that you do and you look at what worked, what didn't, what could be improved for next time. Mm -hmm. And that's taking apart and being, being okay to take responsibility for doing something wrong. Okay. This didn't work. Let's figure out why and how to fix it for the future. And, and then another thing I do is I make my bed every day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, 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 that's from the military, but if I don't, my cats will get on my case because they have where they want to lay on the bed. So <laughs> so there's two reasons for it. Right. I love making my bed in the morning because I feel like I've accomplished something if I do nothing else. Right. There's, a, there's an admiral who did a, a speech about that. And basically, if you want to change the world and you have a... He talks about you make your bed and if you have a horrible day, you come home, that task was at least completed. There's something you have, a nice bed and you completed that task for the day. But I learned how to, I guess, basically stand out in a, in a world that was not as, not as friendly to women in the beginning of my Air Force career. Um, 1980, there was only 8% of the military were women. I think it's about 16% now. Mm-hmm. But I, I didn't let any of that deter me, but I, I it gave me opportunities that I probably wouldn't have otherwise had. And I'm really grateful for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then 
are there things you do that just help you? Like some people have a morning practice or things you do that just keep you at peace and keep you centered and just make your day a better day? Well, I, I get up and I pray and I, I believe that there's a Bible verse that talks about putting on the full armor of God. So I kind of go through that kind of routine and get armored up for the day. And Mm -hmm. sometimes I, sometimes I'll do stretching or some kind of exercises. If I can go for a walk, I do, or something like that, something taking the time to kind of connect with me and then hit the day after that. And then I have, I use a, something called a six most important things list. Sometimes it's more than six things Mm -hmm. to, to I, I checklists work very well for me to do things probably my military background but so I'll have the important things I need to take care of mm-hmm. and as I check them off I feel like I've accomplished something wow so now today you're, you're you have the um the book and beads for Kenya but you're still working as in negotiation so are you taking on um private clients or um, companies or how is that working for you right now? I still get asked to speak, obviously, and I love speaking about negotiation. I'm so I, I get speaking opportunities every now and then somebody will ask me to consult. I had somebody who I consulted with her, but I couldn't, she wanted me to, to help mediate her HOA situation. And I, I couldn't do the actual mediation but I consulted with her on everything she needed to think about and things to say and things to get ready. So we had several consulting calls leading up to that. I have to find out how that went, but she was very well prepared. And I think that she had all of her points and things. She had all of her documentation. So she knew what she would accept and what she wouldn't accept. So I, I do that with people. I helped people get, I had one client, I helped her get back what was it? $35,000? No, it was $17,500 four times. The American Express, the other side kept saying, oh, I didn't get the service. They take her money back and then I'd help her get it back. And then he'd said it again. Oh, it's a different reason. He was, this is, we found out that's kind of what he did. And so I helped her compile her case and she was successful. And I've helped people get back money from landlords and all kinds of things. Oh, that's a wonderful service. So if people wanted to connect with you, what's your website? Just kind of tell us where they can find you. For for my Kenya products, it's basketsandbeadskenya.com. For speaking or anything to do with negotiation, it's aldonaluisfernandez.com. Okay, thank you. So what gives you the most happiness and fulfillment in your life? I think simple, just waking up and being grateful for something. I'm I, this, I chose the words grace and gratitude for the year, having grace for people and being grateful for the things I have. But the thing I guess that fills my heart up is helping the women in Kenya and seeing them grow and be successful and know that their children are going to have an opportunity to not have to live in poverty. And just there's there, they inspire me. They, they inspire me a lot. And I, I love to see how they've transformed because we're not simply, okay, we're, I'm buying some beads. We're actually teaching them entrepreneurial and leadership principles, a lot of the leadership principles mm-hmm. that I speak about. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're, so they're learning those type of things as well as how to actually sell their beads. 
Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast today and for all your tips and tricks on negotiation. It's been really awesome and your story. And, you know, if anybody wants to um, help out, you can go to um, Eldana's website, please do and donate or support or however you can help. Um, I do have one last question before we get off the podcast. What is your best advice on living an incredible, extraordinary life? Well, it goes back to being, being grateful. So many people are ungrateful. It's being grateful for, I'm grateful for my, I'm grateful that I woke up today. Just having the gratitude that, and the mindset that I'm going to be happy no matter what. And gratitude, I think we take that for granted. But if you think about one thing you're grateful for every single day, that's a great way to start your day. And anytime something bad comes, well, what am I really grateful for? Beautiful. Well, thank you so much, Eldana. And we'll talk to you again soon. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Mm-hmm.